Welcome to the Finance and Investments Student Association's FISA Fireside Chats with Matthew and Oliver. All right, welcome back everyone to the FISA Fireside Chat with Matt and Oliver. We're super happy to have uh, Kevin Henley as a guest today, currently Chief Investment Officer at Canadian Net REIT, graduated from Concordia in 2017. So welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thank you guys for having me. Awesome. So let's get started with the classic. Maybe you can give us a bit of background about yourself. Obviously, looking at your LinkedIn, you have an incredible path uh, from when you graduated. So why don't we just start by your time at Concordia, maybe talk a bit about your internships and how you ended up in your uh, current role. Yes. So I uh, I joined Concordia with a very clear goal in mind. Um, you know, prior to this, I, I had been doing a lot of reading on, you know, real estate, private equity, investment banking, and so on. So uh, I joined with the goal of, you know, joining Kenneth Woods program, do the most uh, I could at school and, uh, you know, in the end, getting uh, an opportunity to work in investment banking, uh, mostly, you know, to get the experience. And as is very common in the industry, I guess, you know, do your two, three years and then, you know, switch to the buy side. So um, I joined, um, I started university and then my first internship was at RBC Capital Markets in the real estate group. Um, I guess I've always had a knack for real estate. I started reading on it when I was 17, uh, 16. I got my first job in real estate at 17. So I, I had sort of an edge uh, for that first internship, uh, which was interesting. It was mostly brokerage for um, institutional assets. So a lot of shopping centers, office towers, um, and multi-residential portfolios. Uh, my second internship was at Novacap. Um, you know, I had been doing real estate for some time by then. Um, and I wanted to learn more about buying actual companies. I wanted to see if that was uh, something that I would see a future in. And it turns out that although I liked it, you know, the diversity that you get to, to, to work on, uh, I didn't really like the process uh, of private equity. You know, I, I preferred for, from what I've seen, I had seen at that point was, you know, in real estate, people were buying properties with an exact, you know, a, a proper plan, you know, a tenant already ready to move in or, you know, some strategic, something very strategic, whereas private equity was oftentimes a bit more uh, long-term. So anyways, I, uh, I decided to still keep going. So my third internship was at UBS Securities in Toronto. Um, I got the full time. It was a great experience. I really enjoyed, uh, I know a lot of people don't enjoy it, but I did uh, enjoy my my time there. It was a great team, and I was supposed to to go back, uh, but instead, what I've done when I get got back here is uh, I started emailing a bunch of uh, CEOs of large industrial firms, with uh, the goal of basically finding a uh, a good mentor, and uh, they all said yes. So I highly recommend first of all to always uh, cold email everyone you want to meet, and um, a gentleman by the name of Michael Zakuda, who's the uh, founder and CEO of Plaza Retail REIT. Um, you know, we went for coffee and he told me, uh, well, you know, Plaza is a big company, but I'm uh, a big shareholder in a company called Fransac REIT. And uh, it was currently, at, at that time, it was managed mostly by Jason Paravano, the, 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 the then CFO. Uh, so I met with Jason and um, we had a really good fit. Uh, I guess, you know, the, the advantage there is that I had done so much real estate in the past, you know, I didn't need that much training. So uh, he offered me a position there. So I joined uh, in 2017, uh, the REIT upon graduation. 
Awesome. Well, very eventful path. You got a ton of experience under your belt at such a young age. But maybe if we we go out, go a little bit further to the very beginning. You know, you have one of the better first internships I've ever seen. So, could you could you just describe maybe that what that process was like of of landing your first internship? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it it changed a bit since uh, I was there. To be honest, uh, I was talking to a few students recently, and uh, I guess the whole. Uh, you know, the time frame, the competitiveness, like it was extremely competitive back in my days, but everything happened in two weeks, you know, over two weeks in January or February. Uh, like, the, you know, you would have like 10 interviews in a week kind of thing. And then it was done. So I guess the prep for it was uh, very intense. Uh, I was very fortunate to be part of the KW program at this time. And I remember we were all in the room, you know, the eight of us just, you know, uh, grilling each other, uh, practicing our technicals, our, um, you know, our, our, uh, our, every questions that could possibly be asked in interviews. So we were, you know, I was very well prepared when it, it came time for the interviews. Um, and again, because the, the first one, especially was real estate oriented, um, you know, I had done real estate in the past, but mostly on the ground kind of thing. So, you know, cold calling, buying apartment buildings, like, but nothing extremely financially savvy. So I, um, I learned how to do an actual financial model, uh, presentation, uh, in order to be ready for the case study. And uh, it turned out well. Yeah, a couple of good uh, key takeaways from what we just mentioned. I think uh, practicing interviews is something everyone should be doing. And yeah, personally, Matthew and I have done uh, done it quite a few times as well. So it's it's definitely great. I'm curious to, to dive a bit deeper into that internships. Like, can you walk us, like, what does the day-to-day look like as a real estate investment banker? Is it similar to just a regular generalist investment banker in Montreal or what's sort of a deal looking like? And like- uh, it's quite, I, I guess it's quite similar in the sense that the first step is always to underwrite the assets. So when I was there, I was fortunate to work on the, on the largest uh, uh, multi-residential transaction in Montreal history. It was about 3,700 units. So the first step was to underwrite the portfolio. So obviously as the, the banker slash broker, you're selling the portfolio, so whatever you put in your uh, in your deck needs to be accurate. So that was a lot of lease reviews. Uh, you had to re- review all costs. I personally toured every single building to make sure there were you know enough apartments on each floors. Um, that you know in order for for this to, to like fit the model. And so the first step was a lot of underwriting, which you know is quite similar to what you would do on the more the, the standard banking t- style. And then obviously. Uh, you have to actually make your deck. So it's very similar, except that you are solely focused on real estate and you're dealing with assets, right? And so you don't have, uh, especially in the Montreal office, you're dealing with assets and not companies. So you don't really touch anything that's balance sheet related. You're really focused on the assets. So um, it's interesting because you you understand how you know shopping center it works and it, and believe it it's super complicated to make an actual model for real estate because of probabilities and so on so you know i got to to learn a little bit about the, the argus model which is what every um firm uses it's sort of a software that allows you to actually model uh real estate because of uh, the probabilities involved in it and um apart from this i guess you know a lot of market reviews so it's very similar except that a lot of the noise isn't there and you're solely focused on one asset class. Nice. So then we know you moved after, after RBC, you moved on to Novcap, then eventually UBS in Toronto. And we think that 
like one thing that we've noticed is that you know breaking into especially investment banking in Toronto coming from a, a school in Montreal can be a little bit more challenging than than saying breaking into Montreal so you broke that that barrier at and when you're in school you ended up at UBS in Toronto so I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about what that process was like and how you ended up planning that that internship um well I think first Concordia is getting like really good at at placement you know we have a lot of uh uh, alums in like london toronto new york now so it's uh, it's definitely uh better um i would say the process at the end of the day like everyone has to practice their technicals you know like practice makes perfect you just need to to know them learn them like it's hundreds of hours you need to spend just making sure you know them and then it's really the fit you know so why did i end up there was really more uh function and that's the same case for everyone i believe is once you nailed the technicals because you have to because everyone will or everyone that gets you know that gets the offer will nail it so then it's all about the fit and i guess um the ubs team was very bilingual a lot of quebecers toronto so it, that that helped probably and um I guess that that's really on the fit that you have to do to do it. And you can love the job or the idea of a certain firm, but at the end of the day, you have to like, again, do your technicals. And then it's about the fit. You know, I love my experience at UBS, but if the same people had been uh, at RBC, at Scotia, whatever, uh, I'm sure I would have loved the experience uh, as much, you know? So at the end of the day, and also, cause you spend so much time at the office, right? You're basically living there. So uh, when it comes time to choose, uh, it's very important uh the, the people you're you're uh, you're working with and you see this during you know the the the, the interviews and you know th those things last like three hours you meet everyone so um you get you get to see that yeah i think that's 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 definitely interesting and concord is getting it on the map more and more and that's yeah. kind of what we're trying to do with uh with the podcast and to all the students gmis the john Wilson investment society is a great resource just to to learn about capital markets and get your your feet in the door. So maybe switching gears towards uh your current uh firm, Canadian Net Read. So you went from UBS internship to then you went full time at Canadian Read. So did you start as a chief investment officer? Like is uh, was that the case? And maybe how did you end up in such a a big role right out of school? So I joined as a director of business development, which is, you know, um, I joined se a second employee, right? So obviously it was a small firm back then. Uh, you know, we had 20 properties, uh, mostly gas stations and quick service restaurants. So I joined and, you know, originally my job was simple, was to create business and opportunities, right? So a lot of cold calling, building databases uh, of, of, you know, potential acquisitions, uh, analysis, uh, general business development, uh, I also got to learn how to do financial reporting and uh, and so on. But, you know, I did, I joined there especially because I was joining early. And so as is the case with yeah. everyone else, you know, if you join a small shop and your bet turns out to be right, you know, because you can join a small shop that never flourishes. Uh, but fortunately, um, you know, Jason was the CEO, uh, amazing, amazing real estate uh, executive. Uh, the people on our board, like, the whole combination made it possible for the small REIT with 20 properties to grow into a REIT with more than a hundred properties. Um, and so when you join a firm like this with that type of growth, it follows that your title will, uh, you know, you will grow with the firm. Um, and that's maybe one thing is it, it's, 
big firms have great names and uh you know it's all all great and so on on your cv but if you're planning on spending a long time someplace like making the right bet on a smaller firm uh can be a tremendous experience you get to do more you get to advance faster you don't have any red tapes or politics so that's uh, that's great and so after about a year, a bit less than a year at, at Fransac, I became, back then Canadian Net was called Fransac REIT. Um, I became chief financial officer. Uh, I occupied the position until June of last year. And uh, that's 2021, at which point, uh, you know, obviously my skill set is more geared toward acquisition, investments, financing than it is with accounting. So at that point, um, Ben Gazith, who had been already with us for about a year, uh, became chief financial officer. So now I get to focus solely on sourcing, due diligence, uh, portfolio management, acquisitions, and so on. Great. And maybe to add some clarity, like what what is a REIT? So like where where does the money come from? Like what what's the what's the goal of a REIT, and how do, how does Canadian Net REIT like different from from others? Like what, what what's your focus? That's a great question. So. Um, a REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust, and it basically is a mutual fund for real estate. So instead of going out on your own and buying a property and a second property and having all of your equity basically invested in two properties, you go on the stock market and look at different REITs, and they are a combination of assets with a management team. So there are uh, REITs for uh, shopping centers. There are REITs for office buildings. Uh, we are a REIT with a very particular niche, uh, which is called the triple net and management free. So what does that mean in plain English? Basically we acquire uh, properties that have one tenant in the retail space. So if you think about your grocery stores, your Walmarts, pharmacies, quick service restaurants, gas stations, those are the properties that we buy across Canada. Uh, and the business model for us is that because those properties have a single tenant, they manage their own things. You know, we don't get a phone call because of snow removal, because there's dirt on the ground. The tenant takes care of everything. And because of that, it allows us to be solely focused on finding properties, growing the portfolio. So it's an acquisition and financing heavy business. Uh, the goal of it is uh, there's two goals. First of all, is to being to be able to distribute uh money to your shareholders, unit holders, in the case of a REIT, uh, every quarter uh, or month, depending on the REITs. For us, it's monthly. Um, and to obviously uh, create value, right? So not only do you buy assets for their cash flow, but also in the hopes that they will go up in value uh, through time. Uh, that could be by you know either adding value to each property, consolidation play. So there's many ways to do this. And um, different REITs will cater to different uh, investors. Yeah, that's great. And I uh, I got you said it's a lot of acquisition. So I'm curious to hear, maybe if you could walk us through your investment slash due diligence process when looking at a property. So I guess the, the first step, so is the, the way we like to look at it, first of all, is um, like very high level um, is the market. Like, do we like, you know, the city, the town where, where the property is located? Second is, do we like the actual real estate? So is the property well-located? You know, a Tim Hortons uh, quick service restaurant won't be on the, you know, needs to be on the morning side of the traffic. You know, it's as simple as this. Otherwise, it doesn't work for their business model. You know, they need people to come in easily to grab their coffee in the morning. So do we like the real estate? Does it have multiple access? Is the property in good condition? 
are we going to need to completely retrofit the building? It's let's say in the case of a franchise, you know, every 10 years they need to redo the entire thing, you know? So do we like the real estate? That's criteria number two. And the third one is really uh, on the financial side. You know, if we look at the debt we can put on the property, the rent, can we achieve our uh, targeted returns? So if it checks all of those boxes, we move forward basically with the acquisition. So once you get to that stage, you put the property under contract and then you do your usual uh, due diligence. So that mostly consists of, you know, making sure that uh, you you hire your environmental consultant. You want to make sure the property doesn't have any contaminated soil or is not at risk. You hire a, a property uh, inspector. You want to make sure there's no... Um, there's no damage to the property or if there is any damage, you know, which is very possible, you just need to make sure that uh, you, you, you forecast it uh, accurately. And, you know, obviously we'll send your appraiser because you need, you need financing for a property and the bank will always lend you based on, you know, the appraisal. So those are the three main thing. And obviously you, you need, you need to review your leases. You need to, you know, ask questions to the tenants and uh, you know, most importantly, talk to some local uh, brokers, make sure you understand the market properly. Great. And so obviously you just touched on financing, obviously you're giving out leases. So obviously I, I can imagine you're you're very exposed to interest rates. So in the last two quarters, one of the quickest periods of rising rates we, we've seen, like how has how your, how's that affected like you on your side versus, you know, same period last year where is rates near, like near the lowest ever? So I guess the our strategy was always to buy properties with long-term leases and put long-term debt on it. So uh, the rise in interest rate didn't really impact our actual portfolio as of now because you know that the debt matches the maturity of the leases in many cases. So um, you know for the next you know five years we don't really have to to worry about uh, higher rates. Uh, the second part is whenever we put debt on a property, it's an actual mortgage. And so in a mortgage, you pay interest, but you also pay down principal. So when the renewal comes, you have, you know, you've paid down a significant portion of the property. So your renewal risk is lower. Uh, and I would say the interest rate, the, the, the rise that we've seen really impacts the, the transactional market more than it does for actual portfolio. You know, for us, tenants are still paying, um, you know, everything is, is status quo except that on a deal uh, perspective, obviously in real estate, when interest rates go up, property prices tend to go down because people want to achieve the same level of return. It's very similar to bonds. Um, and that being said, the sellers are still expecting to get the pricing that they used to get when interest rates were at 2%. But now interest rates on mortgages are at six, six and a half percent. And so, uh, there's a disconnect between what buyers are willing to pay and what sellers are willing to accept. That makes it a bit harder for uh, for deals to happen. But this is transitory, and you know it's a cycle. Uh, we're expecting it; it will pick up at some point. And also, you know, real estate is a long-term game. Um, it's about forecasting. Also, the problem now is you don't know when the rates will stop to rise. Um, you know, people. You know, we can we can bet on it you know is it going to stop is it going to keep continue when is it going to go down but the problem is the uncertainty more than the rate itself you know if if we knew for a fact that rates were going to go down in a year from now then obviously deals would continue valuation would be different but it's really the uncertainty surrounding the rates that make it um harder now to do deals 
So you mentioned there's less there's less deals, and I don't want to turn this into a technical interview, but I, I was just wondering, like, what do you do, let's say, when there's no deals? Is there any ways you can still increase the return on your portfolio that you already have on your properties? You turn well, we, operation absolutely. Role? So there's a big aspect. You know, we're an acquisition-driven business, but obviously there's a real estate always has a big aspect on asset management, right? What asset management means is you look at the portfolio you have, and there's many things you can do. You can do lease renewals. Uh, you know, you, even if it's two years out, you can take, um, you can be in advance, try to lock it in. The longer the term, the more the, the more secure the asset is. Uh, there's always capex to be done. So you know, you can spend more time looking at what capex needs to be done. We don't have that many because of the nature of our business model, which is triple net, meaning that the tenants pay for. Uh, pretty much all of the expenses for the property, but we do have some. And so in that case, in today's, uh, you know, in today's environment, we can spend more time looking at, you know, every single CapEx, what do we want to do? When do we want to do it? How much capital to allocate to these things? Uh, and most importantly, I guess, even if it's slower, uh, people aren't, the players in the business aren't going away. So it, it still gives you time to work on your, you know, private pipeline, uh, you know, you, we've been buying most of our deals from, uh, you know, we don't do marketed process a lot. So that means we, we don't necessarily buy a lot from brokers. Most of the stuff we do is directly from other uh, landlords. And so it, it's a, it's, it's a bit more quiet, but it still allows us to spend more time talking to them, you know, seeing a few years out, you know, what, what assets do, would you like to, to keep to sell? So it's not bad uh, in the sense that, you know, asset management side uh, is going well. And um, we still get to work on the pipeline, even though it's a bit slower. Nice. And so I was wondering as well, like if I'm, so if I'm a retail investor and I, I want to invest in like a REIT, like how, how, how should I look at a REIT and like, like look at their like risk tolerance, if like how, how risky is this REIT going to be and how, like, how does someone value a REIT versus a traditional, like a traditional company? That's a good question. I, I'll say, I would say like, this is not uh, financial advice, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and without turning it too technical, because REITs are very hard to value compared to most companies, in my opinion, because, you know, we use NAV a lot of time how to, to value a REIT. And a NAV is 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 a very subjective, you know, and the, the net, NAV stands for net asset value. So you look at all the assets, you assign what you think it's worth, you deduct the debt, that gets your asset value. And then you can see, if the share price reflects uh, the asset value, if it's at a premium or at a discount. So that's extremely hard to do for retail investors. So the way I would see it is you look at the asset class, you know, you have to have conviction on, in whatever you do. Some people have high conviction in office, industrial, retail. So that's where you start, you know, where do I do, I, what, what do I like, what asset class? Uh, let's say you say multi-res, fine. And then you look at your multi-res REITs in the country. I think what's important to look at is really the, the the payout ratio. So in the REIT business, we don't use earnings. We use FFO, which stands for funds from operation. It adds back basically certain items that are non-cash, but impact earnings a lot. For example, um, you know, we reevaluate the fair value of our investment properties every quarter. And basically we add that back, right? Because that's a massive non-cash expense that, you know, you can have it earnings of, you know, plus 15 million, minus 15 million, just depending on that. And so you add it back, you're subtracted in order to, uh, to get like a more uh, accurate figures that to, to represent your operations. 
And uh, you just want to make sure that this ratio is not above 100%, basically, right? Because if you're spending all of your earnings in distributions, obviously, there's unexpected costs in real estate, such as CapEx, um, you know, tenants vacating that could happen. And so you want to have a read that is in a field that you like, that has a conservative payout ratio. And also, I would say on the leverage basis, uh, it's always good, you know, real estate is uh, is highly levered compared to other asset classes. Now, obviously, REITs tend to be you know in the 40, 50% uh, leverage, but the leverage is a function of the asset value, right? And so as we're entering that period of you know cap rate expansion, meaning that you know property values might go down in certain areas, uh, you know, you could see a REIT with leverage of 50% ending up at 60. And so uh, you have to look at the leverage because obviously that's one of the, it's, it's probably the major cause of uh, of uh, disaster in real estate is leverage. So if those three things are there uh, and you like the distribution, you know, most people buy REITs because we distribute money every month. So uh, every single month in your brokerage account, you will see a distribution. So it, it's, uh, it's uh, that, that's what's appealing. Plus over time, obviously, a REIT is real estate. And so it tends to do well. So I would, I would look at this and finally maybe track record. Obviously some REITs, uh, some REITs are very good at distributing money, but don't really grow in terms of, you know, share price. <clears throat> and some other REITs are very aggressive in terms of growing the, the unit price, but don't distribute much money, you know? So you have, you have to make a, a choice, you know, do I want an income uh, play or do I want like a growth play? Lots of interesting stuff. And I, I, I mean, we got into uh, some uh, some technicals, but I, I personally learned a lot. I'm sure Matthew did as well. And I'm going to I'm going to take this opportunity. We always like to use our platform to promote our, the other associates at our school. So if you're interested in real estate, uh, Concordia Real Estate Club uh, has great events to learn more about uh, about real estate. And on, on kind of that note, Kevin, I wonder if you had any books or podcasts or movies or anything that you recommend people uh, looking into to learn more about uh, real estate? Um, I think for for real estate podcasts, there's uh, there are two great ones. Uh, they're Canadian. So that's why they're, uh, they're, um, they're interesting. Just give me a second here. I'll, I'll tell you which one they are. I, I listen to these guys quite often. Um, the first one is called uh, commercial real estate podcast. So that's fairly straightforward. <laughs> and the second one is called uh, commercial real estate library. Okay. Very, uh, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's real estate here. It's not branding, right? You can, you can tell. Uh, so those, those are two great podcasts, Canadian uh, made uh, that interview, you know, people of the industry. So I think that that's very helpful. Uh, and as a book, I think my favorite one, and there's not a lot of books, you know, real estate, uh, everyone always asks me, but it, it's really something you learn on the ground and not really, uh, you know, through readings. But the one book uh, that I liked a lot was uh, Confession of a uh, Commercial Real Estate Entrepreneur. So if you can find this on Amazon, Confession of a Commercial Real Estate Entrepreneur, that's probably the most um, actionable book, you know, with actual strategies on how to make money in real estate. Uh, so I find that that was one uh, my favorite, probably. Interesting. I'll, I'll definitely take a look as well. Well, anyways, Kevin, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I mean, I think both of us learned a lot as well. And we think that uh, a lot of students stand to benefit from hearing your about your experience. And yeah, so thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you for having me, guys. 
All right. Perfect. Have a great one. You bye. too. Bye-bye.